Good morning. Our scripture this morning is Romans 8, 18 to 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. In the news a couple of weeks ago, there was an article, a story about a cyclist. Uh, He was on a bike ride uh, in a suburb north of Seattle uh, in an isolated area. And uh, as he was going about his cycling, he heard groans. Uh, And so he stopped to check it out. And what he found in this isolated wooded area, as he was looking down this embankment, was a car that was flipped upside down. And inside that car was a driver just moaning and groaning. And thankfully, the cyclist was able to call 911 and get emergency responders there to the scene, and they were able to rescue this driver, take him to the hospital, all because the cyclist heard the groans of this driver. Well, in our passage today, it's a story about groaning, and we also, unfortunately, know about what it means to groan. We groan because of suffering, because of pain, maybe even being trapped, or because we're carrying a heavy burden. We groan over big things and little things. I mean, we we groan when the Wi-Fi goes out at our house, right? I mean, everything comes to a stop. We groan when we're in Orlando traffic. Little things cause us to groan, but big things also. Maybe when we get that diagnosis uh, from a doctor or that phone call about our loved one who has passed away. Or even when we're watching the news, we groan at times when we hear of yet another mass shooting. Our passage today is about groaning, but we're going to find as we unpacking that our groaning today pales in comparison to the future glory that awaits God's children. Does not even compare. And as we unpack our passage today, we're going to look at it from three 
vantage points of groaning. We're gonna look at it from the vantage point of our own groaning, creation's groaning, and the Holy Spirit's groaning. Our groaning, the creation's groaning, and the Holy Spirit's groaning. Let's look at that first one. We groan, but our future glory outweighs our present suffering. I want you to first look at verse 18 with me. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What the apostle is saying there is no matter what you are facing right now, big or small, it is not worthy to compare with what is coming ahead. Look at those words, not worth comparison. He's basically saying don't even attempt to make a comparison. It's beyond our comparing. And that's not to minimize maybe what you are going through this morning. You may be here this morning and you may be going through something very painful. And we're not minimizing that. We're, we, we actually acknowledge that, yes, that is real, that is painful, that is hurtful, and, it, and it's terrible that what you're going through. But, but recognize what the apostle is saying here. Whatever it is, this present suffering that you're going through, in your future, there's something that is beyond comparing to what it is right now. These past couple of weeks, I've spent in my yard on Saturdays, I've been hacking away. If you've been, uh, if you've been to my house, you know I've got uh, a little bit of property, a lot of trees. There's this one section of trees that is just covered with vines and thorns. And I've been in there hacking and hacking away uh, and trying to clear this out. And in the process, I'm getting scraped and cut and I've got thorns embedded into my, in the back of my leg and it's painful. Why would I go through all of that? Why would, I, why would I have these cuts and why would I bleed? Well, I'm hoping for something better ahead. There's a purpose in me putting up with the cuts and the thorns. I'm hoping for something glorious. You, these trees are gonna be freed from the weight of these thorns and vines. We can endure pain if there is some kind of purpose some kind of meaning in our pain, and especially if there's something spectacular waiting on the other side of our pain and our suffering. But if we are suffering and we can't see what's ahead, we can't see meaning in it, well, it's hard to have patience. It's hard to have hope in the midst of that. You know, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I am a baby when it comes to needles. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you can go out there and get cuts and bruises and not even think anything about it. But when, you, when it comes to a needle, which doesn't hurt as bad, actually, uh, you, you, you kind of wince at that. Well, I wince at it because there's not something spectacular waiting ahead of that, that needle. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. We have something so much better waiting for us. And you may be here this morning and thinking about your own pain that you're suffering and you're thinking, well, you just don't know how hard it is. You don't know that it's keeping me up night after night. You don't know the pain that I'm suffering. And I want to tell you that the, that the one who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he is the one who was beaten. 
He was the one who was whipped and stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was facing martyrdom. So in a way, the Apostle Paul, he does know. He does know what suffering is about. And what does he say? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So what is it? What is, what is this glory? What is so spectacular ahead of us that's going to make all this pain worthwhile? And I want you to look at verse 23. We've got our answer in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In verse 23, Scripture is giving us two reasons ahead of us. It's telling us about our future adoption as sons. And if you were here last week, you're saying, wait a second, I thought we were already adopted as sons. And what the Bible is talking about here is the already but not yet. Yes, we are God's children if we are in Christ. The Spirit brings us into this relationship, into this new family with God. But if you were here last week, you can remember that at times we don't always experience it. We can live as orphans even though we are children. And there is coming a day when we will really realize, when it will be fully realized and consummated this experience of being in the family of God. Yes, we will then feel and know truly that we are his children. Secondly, the redemption of our bodies. Our decaying, our aging, withering away body is going to be redeemed one day, and, and if you're older, you know what this is like because you're waking up with those aches and pains. If you're sick, you know what this is like. If you've got a disease, you know what this is like. This, this sin-ridden, decaying body is going to be redeemed one day. That is part of the glory that we're looking forward to. Johnny Erickson Tata, you may know who she is. Uh, when she was 17, she, she suffered in a diving accident, and it left her a paraplegic. This is what she says. I can still hardly believe it. I was shriveled in bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who was cerebral palsied brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Johnny Erickson Tata knows about this future glory. She's looking forward to that future glory when her disabled body is going to be redeemed. Powerful and dazzling, light and bright. Imagine that day. No more cancer. 
No more death, no more arthritis, no more pain, no more suffering. In Revelations 21, Scripture says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more. No more. You know what's wonderful is we not only have this promise of future glory, our scripture this morning is giving us assurance while we wait, assurance while we're in the midst of suffering. And what is this assurance? Look again at verse 23 with me. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit. There's a joke in our family uh, that we tell often. We, we're, we're not green thumbs. You know, if you give us a plan, there, the odds are it's not going to make it. It's not going to make it. I'm happy to report, Brad, that we still have the plan that you gave us. It's still alive. It's like the only one. <clears throat> we're terrible at growing things. They always die on us. Um, I love hot peppers. So I, I tried my hand at growing hot peppers about 25 years ago and failed miserably. That's a whole nother story. It failed miserably. But then I tried again like three years ago and I put these little seeds uh, in the container and they, they sprouted up to these little pepper plants. And when those peppers started growing and I got that first batch of peppers, I, I plucked them and I took that, that first batch and I made some hot sauce because I love hot sauce. And I got to taste that first batch of fruit. The first batch of fruit is what Paul is talking about here. The spirit who dwells in us is giving us a first taste of future glory. A first installment of future glory that yes, we begin to feel God's love. We begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Killing sin. Making us more like Jesus. Helping us to feel no longer like orphans, but what it's like to be in the family of God. And you know what's wonderful? Scripture goes beyond that in 2 Corinthians and it tells us that the Spirit is a seal upon us. He is a guarantee. Just like a house payment, that first installment is a down payment, is a guarantee. So not only is the Spirit given to us to assure us and we get this taste of future glory, we have in the Holy Spirit this assurance that is a sound guarantee of what is to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul would sum it up this way. And I love this. I, I love that Mark picked out this verse for us this morning. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all Comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is an invitation this morning amidst our suffering not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. Look at how the Apostle Paul is comparing what you're going through right now is light, it's momentary, it's transient. 
What's ahead of you is eternal, everlasting. It's an eternal weight, an infinite weight of glory. It's, a, it's an invitation to not lose heart because of that. It's an invitation to trust in the promises of God and have hope. And biblical hope is not wishing. Biblical hope is certainty in the promises of God. And his promises to us as his children is that our future is so much brighter than we could ever imagine. Secondly, creation groans, but a far better universe is coming. Verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And what we have in this part of the passage is that creation is being personified as if it's a person. And creation here has been ruined by the fall. Creation here is as if it is in bondage, held captive. Why? Because of sin entering into the world, it is held captive to the curse of sin. The planet we now live in is a planet that is full of decay, it is full of corruption, it is full of death. And as we humans try to work in it, we are confronted with thorns and thistles, stress, anxiety, effort. And as we try to subdue creation, we are opposed by creation, by animals and plants. There is sickness, there is disease, there is death everywhere. Even the whole universe itself is dying. The energy of the sun is, is dying out, it's being used up. Light is going out of the universe. And if you believe the physicists, they say that one day it's all going to go out and it's going to collapse upon Itself, the big crunch is what is it called. The universe has been ruined by the fall. Things are no longer functioning as originally intended, as originally designed. You know, when I was in the, the corporate world, I was working in an industry called the semiconductor industry, and this is an industry where we we designed all the chips that are in cell phones and, and computers and whatnot. And along with these devices, and engineers and technical people would know this, there are what, is called, there are what are called data sheets. And data sheets have specifications. These are like operating manual, manuals. And what these things say is you have to operate this device as the creator, as the designer intended it to be operated. If you go outside of that, it's going to malfunction. And I worked on it in an area uh, to do with battery chargers and battery monitoring. And you know what happens if you operate a charger outside of its intended use? It's going to malfunction and it's going to catch your house on fire. Because that's not how it was designed to operate. And creation is groaning because it is operating outside of its original design. And yes, our house 
All of creation is on fire. But note in verse 22, the metaphor that Paul uses for this groaning that is going on. He uses it, he describes it as the pains of childbirth. Now, Debbie has tried to help me understand what it means to give birth to a baby, right? Like, like a nine-pound bowling ball, right? You know, but there's no metaphor that's going to do for this. You know, guys, we're just not going to understand what it's like to be in the pains of childbirth. But Paul is using this metaphor for a reason because it is pain with a purpose, It is groaning with hope. It is groaning with glory, with, yes, something brighter coming, with a new birth coming. This past week, LBC had some wonderful news for our family. Go ahead and put up this picture. You may have seen this in the weekly update. You can say, aw. Aw. Isn't she so beautiful? Yeah, this is is future glory. This is groaning with glory. There's something better ahead. Ellie Clear. She can probably say that now. Right in the middle of the, of the birth pain, she probably couldn't say that. But now as she's holding Lucy Jane, it's all worth it. Future glory ahead. You know, when uh, we moved to Orlando, uh, we bought a 1959 house. And I'm glad it's not no longer a 1959 house because you know what? Those, those houses in the 50s were small. They were dark. Uh, they were, there were walls everywhere. And when we bought it, someone had gone in there and they renovated the whole thing. They opened it up, bigger windows, added square footage. In other words, what we have now is so much better than the original And that's what God is doing through his son, Jesus. Jesus is making all things new again. He is making a new heaven and a new earth. He is renewing. He is restoring. He is renovating the creation that we live in. And it's an awesome, awesome thing. In verse 19, there's this interesting There's this interesting verse that tells us that creation is not only eager and waiting for its own renovation, but it's also longing for the day when the sons of God will be revealed. Now, this is is an interesting verse. I I say it's interesting because I, I don't think we as human beings and we who are in Christ Jesus really understand, really understand the weight of what is going on throughout all of human history with our redemption, with our adoption. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Scripture says that our salvation actually is something into which angels long to look. And so consider with me, why is all of creation holding its breath, eagerly waiting? Why, why, what is this thing that angels are longing to peer into? Why is that? When, when Adam and Eve sinned and brought ruin to all of creation and, and it was destroyed and, and, and humanity was infected with this sin disease, what do you think the angels looking on thought a holy God was going to do? 
And if we were to personify creation, if creation were to say something and say, well, what do we think God is going to do now that there's death and decay upon the earth? What we would expect is he would destroy it all. What we would expect maybe looks something like the flood that you see in the early parts of Genesis where God brings a flood and almost wipes out the entire earth. That's what you would expect. But that's not what happens. He saves Noah. He saves Noah's family. And why does he do that? Because he made a promise right after Adam and Eve fell. He made a promise. He says, from Eve will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, he is promising a savior. He's promising someone to rescue humanity, to rescue creation itself. And if he destroys his creation, he cannot fulfill his promise. And so it's an unexpected thing that God would give grace that God would hold to his promise and fulfill it in Jesus. And when Jesus comes again in that future moment and he gathers us together in glory, what we have there at that moment is mind-blowing. It's marvelous because redemption of humanity is accomplished. Rescue of creation is accomplished. And it's going to be the biggest unveiling in all of human history. It's bigger than the iPhone, bigger than the Tesla. No, he's going to unveil what? His greatest creation today. You and me. He's going to reveal his glory. How? He's going to put it on display for all the world to see how. And you and in me, unbelievable, marvelous, mind-blowing, that we would be brought into God's family. And at that moment, God's eternal love, his marvelous, undeserved, extravagant grace will be on display. But for now, creation groans and it waits, but there is a far better universe coming. Let's look lastly at the Spirit's groaning. The Spirit groans and he speaks on our behalf, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit but because the, Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When our kids uh, were young, when we, get to, when we went out to eat, um, Debbie and I, we would order for them. And we, would, we would talk to the waiter or the waitress. We would speak on their behalf. Why? Because we knew not only what they desired, what they wanted, but we knew what was best for them. And we would take all that information and we would order for them. What, that's the same thing that we're having right here, the Spirit. He is speaking 
on our behalf in times when we are weak and when times when we are unable to tell God what it is that we want. And we have to admit that many times we actually, when we pray, we actually really don't know what's best for us. And maybe, maybe if you've walked with Christ for a long time, you're beginning to experience this where you can look back now on the things that you wanted, the things that you asked God for, you pleaded him for, he did not give it to you, and you look back and say, aha, I'm glad I did not get that. So glad I did not get that. That's what's going on. The Spirit is pleading for you. He's interceding for you. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. We are weak because we're sinful. We're weak because we have limited vision. We don't know what's best for us, but we're also weak when we are groaning, when we're in the midst of suffering, when we're in the midst of trial. It becomes hard to know how to pray when life is painful. And the spirit here in the scripture, how comforting it is to know that he's groaning for us. Many of you know what this is like. A couple years ago, I was in the hospital, and I was, I was struggling, battling COVID. And I remember so many times trying to pray, and I, I just could not. I could not pray. I could not get words out. I couldn't even think properly. And I, all I could say at times was, Jesus, Jesus, help me. And that's what... Scripture is showing us this morning, in moments like that, when you are in those times when you don't know what to pray, when you can't pray, the Spirit is praying on your behalf. And so when you are in those moments, it's okay to marinate in those moments before our triune God. And just to say, Father, or Jesus, or Spirit, and trust the Holy Spirit, he is speaking on your behalf according to the will of God. Did you know that Jesus, he probably groaned. He groaned as well. When he was on the tree, when he was being crucified, bearing the weight of our sin, he not only probably groaned, we know he cried out loudly. And unlike the story of the driver, his cries, though they were heard, they were not responded to. There was no 911 call for Jesus. He was abandoned. Our Savior Jesus cried out, was not heard, was not responded to, abandoned. Why? So that we, when we cry out, we are always heard. We are never abandoned. We're, we're never forsaken. We're always brought into his family. We are never, never alone. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. You've yet to follow him in faith. You may be here this morning. You've got something heavy that you're going through and you're suffering, this is the invitation to come to such a Savior who identifies with what you're going through. You see, Christianity is the only religion that understands suffering because it's the only religion that has a God who suffered 
also. Come to Jesus. Find healing, find hope, a future so much brighter than you can imagine. You have a Savior who has suffered too. If you're here this morning, you followed Jesus for many years and you're facing a difficult circumstance, suffering, trial, the invitation for you is to come back once again and not lose heart. You have something so much better waiting for you, so much weightier than this light and momentary affliction. And you have a Savior too. He knows exactly what you are going through. He hears your cries. He responds. He gives you the Holy Spirit to comfort you and speak on your behalf. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for such a Savior, such a God who would die for us, who would experience the pain and the brokenness of this world for us. And Lord, it does blow our minds that in us, weak and sinful, rebellious creatures, you would display your glory for all of creation, for angels to marvel at. We are the objects of your extravagant, lavish love. It's a marvelous thing for all of creation to behold us, your children. And so we revel in that this morning. We rejoice and we praise you for who you are, for what you have done in Jesus. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.